Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 23, Social Jet Lag. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Though it may sound like an almost desired affliction of high society, celebrity socialites in their private jets, what is known as social jet lag carries with it some pretty serious consequences for your health. In this week's episode, I'll be discussing the phenomena of social jet lag, the argument between your socially driven behavior and your biology. The term social jet lag first appeared in the academic literature around 2006, but it captures a phenomena seen for decades, made only worse by available technologies and the time crunch of modern life. When you have a desired bedtime that is later, a delay in your biological internal clock known as a circadian rhythm, but you are forced to wake and rise earlier than your biological clock anticipated for an obligation, which is almost always school or work, this puts a particular strain on your sleep. Later to bed, earlier to rise. The result is sleep deprivation. A building sleep debt all week long, Monday through Friday for most. During the work or school week, you may experience greater difficulty falling asleep, inflamed by the rapidly shorter time till you need to get up for your work or school obligations. When you do rise, it's a struggle. You may have to hit snooze more than a handful of times. Parents may have to drag their teens out of bed to get to school on time. You're considerably exhausted in the mornings, both because of the insufficient sleep duration and because according to your internal clock, you really still should be sleeping at this time. The struggle is real all week long, until finally, relief. Friday night couldn't come any sooner, and despite being sleep-deprived and exhausted all week long, you end up staying awake even later Friday night because you know you don't have to get up extra early the next day to meet those work or school obligations. So bedtime is even later than during the weekdays, curiously, you may think, often free from any insomnia compared to the rest of the week. Without a next-day commitment too early to handle, you can sleep in as late as you want. What a dream. Literally, since we achieved most of our rapid eye movement dream sleep in the last couple hours prior to waking, which had been cut off during the weekdays. And because you've been sleep-deprived all week long, there is an ineffective but still attempted effort to pay back some of that sleep debt you've been accumulating. That means you sleep even longer than perhaps you had intended. For instance, Monday through Friday, you may only be racking up five to six hours per night, running on fumes by Friday, kept going only by the anticipation of the weekend. Then on Friday night, it's not seven or even eight, but often ten or more hours of sleep. 
typically same on Saturday night. And with this freedom from early morning obligations, you end up sleeping way later, sometimes into the early afternoon. So when night rolls around, and at your weekday bedtime, you haven't been consecutively awake nearly long enough to build up enough sleep drive. That process S, or homeostatic sleep drive we've been talking about, characterized by the buildup of adenosine, the waste product of the brain's use of energy. If you've only been awake for 10 to 12 hours, there is not enough biological pressure to welcome you into slumberland. So you end up staying awake even later on Saturday, followed by sleeping in later once again Sunday morning or even into early Sunday afternoon. So then by the time Sunday night rolls around again and you dread having to get up way earlier than you want Monday morning, that set alarm time mocking you, you may try forcing yourself to get to bed to allow yourself enough of a fighting chance to clock in at least the minimum number of hours of sleep before that Monday morning deadline. But what happens? Since you've only been awake for 10 to 12 hours or so, with that associated two-week of a sleep drive, plus the fact that you've been reinforcing an even later circadian rhythm than usual with late-night activity and late-morning activity, nothing about your biology is ready for you to engage in sleep. So, of course, more insomnia. Before we dive into some of the effects on your health that this pattern of wake and sleep can have, let me touch on some of the factors that keep this pattern going. One may be even more problematic on Mondays in particular than the rest of the week. As we've discussed zeitgeibers in episode 20 and many times before, these time givers are little nudges and pulls from our behavior and exposures that advance or delay or maintain our internal clock. There's an important concept to remember. Depending on whether an influence such as light is felt on one side or the other of your sleep midpoint, the direction of that influence will be different. Light before middle of sleep will delay your internal clock later. Light after your sleep midpoint will advance your internal clock earlier. More light at night, more insomnia. More light in the morning, more morning wakefulness like I discussed in episodes 4 and 5. Let me explain. The midpoint can be measured a few ways, but the most accurate is the lowest value that your core body temperature hits. Recall as we first outlined in episode 3 that your core body temperature declines as you are first getting to sleep. One of the reasons why a warm bath before bed and keeping the bedroom cool will help you fall asleep by facilitating this cooling. The lowest point of your body temperature occurs typically around 3-4 to hours before your free rise time, unencumbered by any alarms. For instance, if you typically fall asleep by 10.30pm, and awoke naturally with no alarms around 6 a.m., your body temperature hits its lowest dip around 2 to 3 a.m., before it starts rising back up to your usual level, that 98.6 or so degrees. That time may or may not sync up with the actual midpoint in the duration of your sleep period, depending on what time you fell asleep or woke up in relation to your typical circadian rhythm. With a delayed rhythm of sleep and wake, such as sleep onset around 3 a.m. and wake up around 10 a.m., the temperature midpoint of your sleep may not occur till 6 to 7 a.m., which means that during the week, if the alarm wakes you up at 5.45 a.m. to meet your obligations, zeitgeibers like light, movement, activity, eating, all of these influences fall on the wrong side of the midpoint, meaning that if your preferred natural sleep schedule is 3 a.m. to 10 a.m., and no matter what time you actually fell asleep and you got to get up by 5.45, all those influences upon first waking will delay your body's internal rhythm even further. When that light especially happens too early, on the before side of your sleep temperature midpoint, your internal clock is more strongly delayed than ever. 
making it more likely you won't be ready for sleep till even later Monday night. More likely, your temperature midpoint won't occur till even later than 6 to 7 a.m. on Tuesday. And more likely that when you wake up Tuesday morning, you are again on the wrong side of that temperature low point, reinforcing and increasing the delay in your internal clock once again. This delay in internal sleep-wake cycles basically ensures its own survival all week long. Because again, the strength of these shifting influences, these zeitgeibers on your internal clock, the strength of the push and pull is way stronger the closer they are felt to that midpoint. When you get light exposure one hour before your midpoint, the delaying force on your body clock is much stronger than if you got the light exposure about three to four hours before the midpoint, which is right at your natural bedtime. And light at this time, as we've seen over and over again in episodes 4 and 12 especially, is already really harmful. So when you are forced to wake up for school or workweek obligations, and that time to wake is before your temperature midpoint, you are nearly certain to continue that pattern for days to come. And then, when the weekend comes, rather than utilizing those later wake-up times to pull your body's clocks a little earlier to eradicate this already self-perpetuating disaster, Rise time is delayed even further by sleeping in late, with later and later light exposure after waking, later and later activity after waking, later and later eating after waking. And the farther you engage in these activities, the farther from that temperature midpoint, the weaker influence they will have on even maintaining your current sleep-wake pattern, let alone the much-needed advancement, the march earlier that you need not just to function in the upcoming days, but just to counter the body's own slightly extended day. Because remember, that the average internal clock runs on an approximately 24-hour and 12-minute day, not precisely 24 hours. And so we constantly need to advance our own clocks 12-plus minutes just to stay synchronized with our external clocks. So this pattern of trouble falling asleep during the workweek to obtain a sufficient amount of sleep due to a delay in the internal clock, trouble waking in the mornings due to insufficient sleep plus the delay in internal clock, then a counterproductive compensation on the weekends of falling asleep even later than during the week and sleeping in much later than during the week, this is the pattern known as social jet lag. Because the experience is the same forced desynchrony between your body clock and environment as someone who got in a plane and traveled west several time zones every Friday evening, then hopped back on the plane and traveled east several time zones every Sunday night. But instead of the forced desynchrony being caused by a jet travel, like standard jet lag, it is caused by socially driven behavior. I've talked a lot about circadian rhythms and how they can be used to either ensure insomnia or promote feeling well-rested. I've also discussed how particular circadian rhythms, namely delayed rhythms, even when total sleep duration is totally normal, that just getting a normal kind of sleep, but later than typical, is associated with a host of problems. As discussed last week in episode 22, delayed rhythms worsen performance not just in athletics and politics, but at school and work. Delayed rhythms significantly increase depression and other mood disorders, even to the point of significantly increasing suicidal thoughts. Delays in circadian rhythms cause changes to the structure and function of our brains, which in turn leave us less able to control our thoughts and actions, and less prepared to handle the curveballs that life throws our way. So it is no surprise that this phenomena of social jet lag which can be thought of as basically a delayed circadian rhythm with the added insult of sleep deprivation five out of seven days, is also associated with increased risk of harm to body and mind. I haven't been as overly critical of this phenomena called Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, on the podcast as I have in other contexts, but the data clearly shows us that in both children and adults, 
that the symptom complex of ADHD is wholly due, in almost 100% of cases, to disorders of sleep. The exceptions being some cases of pediatric seizure disorders. And the ghoul of ADHD is often miraculously cured without addictive and dangerous drugs once the underlying sleep disorder is corrected. A delayed sleep-wake cycle is among the several sleep problems that can cause all the symptoms of ADHD. Independently of a delayed cycle, one 2016 study demonstrated that specifically social jet lag is also strongly associated with ADHD symptoms. In fact, after accounting for factors like age, sex, sleep duration, and delayed circadian rhythm, that the only predictor of ADHD symptoms as a whole, and impulsivity on its own, the only factor was social jet lag. And with what's known as a dose response, meaning the greater the social jet lag, the larger that difference in work week and weekend schedules, the worse the ADHD and the worse the impulsivity. Independent of ADHD, social jet lag significantly worsens academic performance. An interesting 2018 study analyzing the interaction with an online learning management system totaling 3.4 million logins found that on average, college students suffer an average of 30 minutes of social jet lag with a direct effect on performance and grades. Furthermore, like with ADHD, there is a significant dose response. With the greater the social jet lag, the greater that difference in weekday and weekend schedules, the worse the academic performance. And just like ADHD, those with social jet lag did significantly worse in college than those with a plain vanilla delayed circadian rhythm without these large swings in schedule between the weekdays and weekends. Meaning that it's not just staying up late that's the problem. It's staying up late exclusively or just more so on weekends compared to weekdays that accounts for these poor grades. A 2015 study of preschool-aged children from 4 to 6 years old found significant evidence of social jet lag even in this age group. Not only was delayed sleep-wake schedules associated with behavioral problems, including hyperactivity and inattention, these children also achieved 30 minutes less of sleep duration per night on average, but those preschoolers and kindergartners with social jet lag were even more likely to have behavioral problems. More than 2.1 times more likely to have conduct problems with teachers and nearly three times as likely to have behavioral problems interacting with their better-rested peers. Clearly, circadian consistency is important, not just for avoiding difficulties with insomnia or fatigue, but with daytime behavior and function, even at an early age. I and other providers familiar with sleep science don't just recommend keeping the same schedule seven days a week just to make life difficult for you. It's because there are real consequences to such a slippery internal clock. Risky behavior in teenagers is strongly associated with these internal clock irregularities. Teens with delayed internal clocks and social jet lag are more likely to drink alcohol. Teens with abnormal circadian rhythms are more likely to binge drink as well. Teen brains are still 5 to 15 years away from maturity, and alcohol use significantly impacts development of key brain regions. Teens may be more likely to suffer the sleep problems induced by alcohol as discussed at length in episode 15, including further disruption to sleep-wake cycles. Teen use of tobacco, including e-cigarettes, as well as cannabis, also appears more likely in those with social jet lag. Another 2019 study using several distinct markers of circadian rhythm found that no matter which method utilized, any finding of social jet lag among teenagers was associated with alcohol use. And as with other concerns, there was a dose-response scene. The greater the difference between weekday and weekend schedules, i.e., the worse the social jet lag, the higher the likelihood of alcohol use in these teenagers. Social jet lag, like other abnormalities of sleep and circadian rhythm, is strongly associated with mental health. A 2019 systemic review of multiple other studies 
looked at the links in young adults between social jet lag, depression, anxiety, psychosis, and mania. The reviewers found a consistent relationship between measures of social jet lag and depression. With greater degrees of social jet lag, that larger difference in sleep-wake timing between the work week and the weekend, the worse the depression's severity. Separately, social jet lag was also found in a dose-response relationship with seasonal depression as well, with greater differences in work-week weekend schedules in the winter associated with worse depression. Another 2019 study of over 3,000 teenagers found that while greater sleep duration reduced the risk for developing anxiety, meaning getting enough sleep equals less anxiety, the researchers found that social jet lag significantly increased anxiety. Furthermore, even after accounting for the protective factor of adequate total sleep duration, social jet lag still was strongly associated with anxiety. And as always, with a dose response. The greater the social jet lag, the worse the anxiety. With the worst anxiety seen in teenagers with an over four-hour swing in sleep-wake timing between weekdays and weekends. So again, even if teenagers are achieving 8 to 10 hours of total sleep every night of the week, but when those 8 to 10 hours happen later on weekends than during the school week, more anxiety is the outcome. In addition to the cognitive, behavioral, and mental health effects of social jet lag, there is considerable toll it takes on physical health as well. A 2020 study of school-aged children found that in these kids between 8 and 12 years old, the more social jet lag specifically, and the more delayed rhythms more generally, the higher their body mass index, or BMI, with more social jet lag equaling more unhealthy weight, that same dose response. Furthermore, blood profiles of these kids' metabolic health were far worse. Social jet lag and delayed sleep-wake rhythms associated with far worse levels of insulin, glucose, triglycerides, and total cholesterol. The foundations for cardiovascular disease and endocrine problems like diabetes are way more likely in those with social jet lag, starting as early as the third grade in this study. A 2016 study of adolescents between 14 and 17 years old found significant impact of circadian rhythm on body size, specifically after accounting for age, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and total sleep time, the researchers found that social jet lag was strongly associated with increased body mass index, or BMI, and increased waist-to-height ratio. No other measurement was significantly associated with these outcomes, including sleep duration, except for social jet lag. Another 2019 study of adolescents demonstrated that above and beyond the significant effects of delayed sleep-wake phase, that social jet lag significantly increases waist circumference and total body fat mass. The worse the circadian rhythm in social jet lag, the worse the weight and body mass proportions. A separate 2019 study followed up on participants in a Mediterranean diet study. In young adults between 18 and 25 years old, social jet lag was associated with poor adherence to the Mediterranean diet, as always in a dose-response pattern. The worse the social jet lag, the less adherent they were to the Mediterranean diet. The worse the social jet lag, the higher their BMI as well, after accounting for diet. And even among those sticking to the principles of the Mediterranean diet, individuals with social jet lag consumed a smaller proportion of fruits and vegetables, substituting with more fats and carbs, and they were more likely to skip breakfast and load more calories later in the day, which may be one of the main factors leading to the increased weight. And not just small children, teenagers, and the youngest of adults that are affected. A 2015 study of adults from ages 30 to 54 years old assessed circadian rhythms and blood work measuring metabolic health. After accounting for multiple other risk factors, social jet lag was strongly associated with lower levels of good cholesterol called HDL, higher levels of triglycerides, 
higher levels of fasting insulin, increased insulin resistance, and increased body fat percentage. That's after adjusting for sleep quality, sleep duration, sleep efficiency, and multiple health behaviors such as exercise and activity levels. Social jet lag independently can ruin your metabolism, your weight, your waistline, no matter your age. So to summarize, while this is far from an exhaustive list of problems, social jet lag is not good for you. I've shown you repeatedly across many podcast episodes that respecting your sleep pays dividends to your overall health, and that consistent sleep-wake schedules go a long way in improving the quality of your sleep and the quality of your life. Keeping a consistent sleep time and wake time seven days a week not only will improve your ability to fall asleep, stay asleep, feel better rested in the mornings, but has huge implications for your total wellness. When there are differences between your sleep-wake timing during the weekdays compared to the weekend, you pay for it. Social jet lag is associated with worse cognitive performance, including ADHD, self-control, school performance, and behavior, including risky behavior like alcohol and substance use in teenagers. Social jet lag is associated with worse mental health, including increased depression, increased seasonal depression, and increased anxiety. Social jet lag is associated with an expanding waistline and increased body fat percentage in children, teenagers, and adults. Social jet lag is associated with worse metabolic health, including higher cholesterol levels and increased insulin resistance seen in type 2 diabetes. And in all of these, there is a dose response, meaning there is not some fluke in the data, but consistently, there is a linear relationship between the degree of social jet lag, that greater difference between sleep timing from weekdays to weekends, and the severity of these outcomes, from cognitive to emotional to metabolic. If you want to significantly lower your risk of a worse brain and worse heart and worse metabolism, keep your sleep-wake timing consistent seven days a week. Again, I and other sleep providers, we don't just pull this thing out of thin air. Sleep and wake timing, your circadian rhythm, plays a large role not just in your ability to fall asleep and wake feeling well-rested, but plays crucial roles in your ability to function, in your physical and mental health, in your ability to live your best life. And as we saw in episode 22, a delayed sleep-wake timing is not good for you, and social jet lag is even worse. So be consistent, but also be consistent and not delayed. Wake up every day at a time that provides you a sufficient buffer to get ready for your earliest obligation each week. On days when you don't have that earliest of obligations, like weekends, don't stay up later or sleep in later, because that's exactly what social jet lag is. And if you feel like you need to make up on the weekends all the sleep debt accumulated during the work week, here's a suggestion. Don't have that sleep debt. We'll talk more about make-up sleep at another time, but the bottom line is you need to give yourself an adequate opportunity to achieve enough sleep every night not just on days off. And the more consistent you stick to a schedule every day, the easier it is to stick to a schedule every day. Meaning, the easier it is to fall asleep when you need to, to wake up when you need to. Because as we've seen, having two different schedules between work and non-work days only reinforces the likelihood that you will have trouble falling asleep and waking rested on work days. Respect your circadian rhythm and it will respect you. Ignore it at your folly. Your health and well-being is on the line. I've created a little freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.